It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith corks one in the right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brett McMillan. Welcome, welcome. Cardinals Insider Podcast. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you with us. My name is Brett McMillan, and we are spending this episode looking back 20 years to the summer of 1998 and this very famous moment. Down the left field line, is it enough? Gone! There it is! 62! Touch first, Mark. You are the new single-season home run king. That was number 62 for Mark McGuire. It came on September the 8th, 1998. Of course, it shattered the old single-season home run mark of 61 set by Roger Maris, fittingly, in 1961. The whole summer was a race to 62 between Sammy Sosa and also Mark McGuire, and it really did put St. Louis at the center of the baseball world. We're going to hear from three people on today's podcast who were members of the Cardinal organization or covered the Cardinal organization during that time, there's just nothing really quite like a firsthand recollection. Dan McLaughlin covered the Cardinals. He was doing not play-by-play like he is currently, but he was doing features for Cardinals television at that time. We'll hear from him in just a little bit. We'll hear from Vicki Bryant. She is the VP of Merchandising for the St. Louis Cardinals, and she had an interesting perspective on just the hunger for McGuire souvenirs that summer. She's got some great stories. We'll drop a couple of them in just a moment. And then also we'll talk to John Vooch. He did and still does work in baseball operations, but just kind of a throw-in job back then was measuring the home run distance or estimating, I suppose, would be a better way to put it back then, estimating the home run distances all summer on all the home runs hit at Bush Stadium, including Mark McGuire's. But before we get to all of that, I want to remind you that the Cardinals host the Pirates on Saturday, June 2nd, and that day, 30,000 fans, 16 and older, are going to add an embroidered Cardinals jersey to their wardrobe, courtesy of Scott Credit Union. It's a one-of-a-kind item. You don't want to miss it. Get your tickets at cardinals.com promotions. As I mentioned, Dan McLaughlin features for Cardinals TV back then. You know him now as the television voice of the Cardinals and also a contributor to Cardinals Insider TV. I sat down with Dan uh, to talk for the TV show and captured the audio to bring it to you as well. He's instant offense. He's always great. He's got really good stuff to say, and he is one of the the great historians, I think, of Cardinal baseball around. He really appreciates the history of this franchise, and he lived through history back in 1998. And then once he started doing play-by-play, was traveling with McGuire as well, and he'll talk a little bit about that. So it's Dan McLaughlin and myself talking about the great home run chase of 98 back in just a moment for more McGuire content. But for now, enjoy Danny Mac on the Cardinals Insider Podcast.
Let's start with batting practice. It yeah. was unbelievable, and anyone who lived through 98 knows it, but that story that you did on BP, what was the thing that struck you the most about just the whole circus of the event? It was an event, it was a circus, and the Cardinals actually opened up the turnstiles early for games uh, when McGuire was taking BP. And the whole idea was people just wanted to see him hit these monstrous home runs in BP. And so his personal batting practice pitcher was Dave McKay. And I remember talking to Dave, and I said, what is it like throwing to Mark McGuire? He said, it's pressure. He said, we've got 20,000 people here waiting to see him knock it out of the ballpark. And if I'm off one day and not throwing good BP to where he likes it, they're not going to see what they came to see, which is to see him put it in the upper deck and reach parts of Bush Stadium, too, that have never been reached before. So Dave McKay talked about that being pressure of being a batting practice pitcher, which should be no pressure, and yet he felt the pressure of pitching to Mark McGuire. I know that you're close with Mark. I have to imagine it was so much pressure on him because, like you said, outside the game even, just the spectacle of it, has he ever told you about you know, what that summer was like for him physically, mentally, just going through it all? In talking with him now years later, the thing that he always brings up was the fact that he was mentally locked in. Now, he had had so many injuries in his career prior to St. Louis, and then obviously because he walked away from $30 million, retired from the Cardinals because of physical ailments. But he talked about the fact that it was so hard mentally just to be locked in every single game and realizing everybody at the ballpark, for the most part, is there to see him. There's a baseball game going on, but that really was the sideshow as opposed to watching him come up four or five at-bats a night. The teams of 1997, 98, 99, they were okay. They were getting better, but the show was Mark McGuire. That's why people were showing up at the ballpark. You have covered Cardinals, which have been all-time great players in franchise history, some players that have been all-time great baseball players. How does the celebrity of Mark McGuire in those years you were with him compare to any other player, really, that you've ever been around? I've never seen anything like it traveling with Mark McGuire. And it was, I can only guess, like traveling with the Beatles because we would arrive sometimes in a city at 3 or 4 in the morning and the hotel security staff and local police would have to shuttle us in in remote places of the hotel. You know, not the main entrance, the service entrance, the back side of the hotels. And it's all because of one person. It was all because autograph seekers and folks that just wanted to get a glimpse at him, a picture of him, whatever the case may be, just to see him. They would wait all night just to get a glimpse of Mark McGuire. And so he was not traveling like a normal guy. There was always security detail with him to protect him because you just don't know. And in this day and age now, it'd be even crazier. But even back then, it was nuts prior to Twitter and Facebook and all those things. People just wanted to get a piece of Mark McGuire. So not only was it tough for him to focus, I would imagine, inside the lines, and maybe that was his sanctuary, but everything that went around it, just trying to figure out how to get to the ballpark, going to get a place, uh, going to somewhere to go get a place to, to, to get something to eat, whatever the case may be, to find solitude. It was very, very tough on him, and that's also an aspect, I think, that gets overshadowed just being around him and traveling with him, seeing that every day, it was just incredible. For those who didn't live through it or maybe weren't even alive, but Cardinal fans that didn't experience it firsthand, <laughs> what would you tell them that they need to know about 98 that they wouldn't know without having lived through it like we did? Well, if you enjoy baseball and you enjoy the way that crowds are coming out today and the fact that it's still America's pastime,
uh, you can have a big thank you to Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, and to an extent, uh, Cal Ripken for his game's uh, played streak. Um, people came back to the ballpark because of Mark McGuire. It certainly happened here in St. Louis. And a lot of our younger fans don't realize there was a strike that wiped out the World Series. And so baseball was trying any way to get fans to come back and be engaged in the game. And one way that that happened was to go watch Mark McGuire take batting practice and then watch him put one in the upper deck at Bush Stadium too. And I get goosebumps thinking about it right now watching it because we had never seen it before and it really re-engaged a fan base to come back and enjoy the game of baseball. Back in the studio, Dan, great as always. And somebody else who really gave me some great bites was Vicki Bryant, the VP of merchandise, or merchandising rather, for the St. Louis Cardinals. She had some experiences that were definitely unlike what anybody else had because she was the person making decisions about how the McGuire record was going to be branded and sold on souvenirs. And she worked with Jim Milner, McGuire's agent, and McGuire himself in kind of executing and approving some of those designs in the big lead-up to number 62. One of those was a hat. Vicky tells the story of getting that approved and Mark's premonition about when he might hit that famous number 62. Mark McGuire had to approve of any graphics using his image and associated with the record. So in preparation to it, weeks leading up to it, we had a number of occasions to meet with his agent, uh, Jim Milner, and discuss the product. And as you can imagine, Mark was not really focused on um, selling t-shirts and hats. What he wanted to do was focus on what was on the field. So it was a little, it was challenging. And finally, I went to, um, to Jim and said, Jim, we have got to get his approval. If we don't have it and we don't get it today, the merchant, he's going to hit this home run and the fans are going to lose. We're all not going to be able to enjoy the moment and the success associated with it. So please. So he took me into the clubhouse uh, with Mark and said, Mark, you got to look at this. Look at this. You got to see this. You got to um, approve it. And it was a hat that had uh, the 62 graphic on it and on the back of it was embroidered the date 9-8-98 and Mark looked at the uh, he says yeah it's cool and he turned around and he looked at the back and he said 9-8-98 I like that number he said you might want to keep that hat I said absolutely I will thank you sir and off I went um, and that of course turned out to be the magical night and on that night um, I saw Jim in the club uh, outside the clubhouse walking in the corridor and he had this huge grin on his face and he walked over to me and he grabbed me and he whispered in my ear I just talked to Mark tonight's the night I still get goosebumps thinking about that moment he did hit 62 on 9-8-98, September the 8th, and afterwards, the bowl of Bush Stadium, obviously, as it had all year, was electric when McGuire had hit a home run, more so because he had broken the record. Big Mac greeted the Maris family. He saluted the fans. They stopped the game. There was a big hoopla, and Vicky knew that there was going to be hoopla out on the concourse, too, so that's where she ran, and boy, what she saw, I think one of my favorite stories from recollecting this whole thing 20 years later. That night, um, I watched him hit 62, 
and I ran out onto the concourse and where I could see above a couple of souvenir stands and it was like nothing I'd ever seen. It was like piranhas in a feeding frenzy. People had fists full of money. They were holding it up. It was almost like watching the floor of, um, on Wall Street of traders with their, um, in a frenzy. And they were, you know, I'll take 10 of everything. I'll take 10 of everything. Um, they didn't ask prices. They didn't ask what it was. They didn't care. They just wanted to get that merchandise. A lot of us still have McGuire souvenirs. I would say out of all Cardinal alumni, and this is very much an unofficial poll just as I walk around the ballpark, but I still see probably more McGuire jerseys than maybe anybody else from that era for sure, but he's probably tied for first, to borrow Tony LaRusse's phrase, uh, among ex-Cardinals who still get their jerseys represented here at Bush Stadium. You can't go a homestand without seeing a couple of Mark McGuire jerseys and even some of that old 98 merchandise, it's still floating around, and you see it from time to time. 20 years later, people still holding on to those memories in the form of those souvenirs. John Vooch, a guy that was measuring the home runs back in 98, he was working in baseball operations at the time. He still is, and it's hard to fathom because today we have StatCast and we have all the analytics. We can tell you how hard a guy hit the ball, at what angle he hit the ball, and exactly how far the ball went when he hits a home run. Well, back in Mark McGuire's day, the technology to try to estimate the distance of a home run had really only been around here in St. Louis for about a decade, and John Vooch had been working with measuring the home runs since the program was launched. But in 1998, it took a dramatic turn. Think about this. In 88, 10 years earlier, the Cardinals as a team hit 71 home runs. McGuire, as an individual, hit 70 home runs that summer. So Vooch's job, which I said earlier, was just kind of a throw-in. He's doing his day job, quote-unquote, with baseball operations, and then during the game would measure the home runs when they were hit every once in a while. Well, they were being hit a lot in 1998. And so his job took on a whole new kind of high-profile, uh, very busy schedule in the summer of 1998. I got to sit down with him in his office and talk over what that was like, the technology and the way that they estimated the distance of the home runs, and also the story behind the longest homer that McGuire hit that summer. It was 545 feet. It was in the month of May, his 16th dinger that he hit. And at first they weren't really sure. In fact, a lot of people were questioning John on how far it hit because of where it landed. You'll get that story and find out how they sorted through it all to find out that it went 545 feet. So here he is, John Vooch, the man who was in the press box measuring the homers as McGuire hit them. He joins us now on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. In those games, the 81 times that summer in 1998, it sounds like you had a few things that you did, but you would sit in the press box and when a home run would be hit, what were you doing in order to, you know, to get that number to the parties that needed it? Well, what we would do is uh, we had a chart actually that dated back to 88 or 89 when IBM came in and they kind of did a survey of the stadium. Uh, they started a program called IBM Tale of the Tape. And so uh, with that, they, they gave us a chart that kind of measured various points in the stadium. Uh, gave different values based on the trajectory of the home run. A line drive would obviously have further further distance because what it is, is 
with the old Bush Stadium, everything was enclosed, so rarely did the ball get back down to field level. And so the value we were trying to assign is the distance the ball would have gone had it returned to field level. And so, um, you know, so basically for each point, you would have three values based on whether it was a, a towering home run, a normal home run, or a line drive home run. And so then when the ball would be hit, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd look at the chart, find the spot, and uh, look at the three values and decide what kind of home run it was and assign a value based on that. Now, you know, for each, I'd say there were probably about maybe 10 different points that were plotted. So if it landed in between, you would kind of interpolate between the two values and come up with a number that way. Obviously, Mark's quantity was a lot more than anybody else at that time, but I imagine the distances that he was putting up were very different too. How did that compare to the other guys on, on both teams? Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was definitely a, a big change because I remember the, uh, the first or second year we did it, the two longest home runs we had were both hit by Scott Terry, who was a pitcher, and hit, those were the only two home runs that year that were over 400 feet. And when McGuire came on, it was, it was definitely, you know, I, I think he had very few that were under 400 and, and you know, had quite a few, uh, you know, had several that were over 500. So yeah, he definitely kind of pushed the outer limits of the chart and uh, it was definitely a little, little different than it was when we first started in the early days. He showed the power in 97, but then in 98, I mean, I think for different people, it became clear at different points that we were witnessing history. For you sitting there in the press box, do you remember a moment when you thought, this is a summer I'm gonna remember for the rest of my life? Yeah, I think I think definitely. I think I think really go back to opening day, and I think he hit a grand slam that day, and and you know there there was a lot of a lot of anticipation you know going into that season, and then the, you know the fact that he got off to a good start, he was you know the entire year he was kind of running ahead of Maris's pace. So I think you know that that entire year, you know, I think there was the 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 idea that he was you know going to be chasing history, and that it could be a very historic summer for us. Was that I mean day one were people talking about? Chase was that being the, the terminology that was being used, or did it take a couple weeks? No, I mean to me, you know, because because even even at the end of '97, I mean, when you added his American League totals with his National League totals, he was in the in the upper 50s in terms of home runs. So he was, you know, he was not that far behind, you know, the, the prior year. And I think the feeling was that you know that that anything could happen. You know, it was it was ironic because Bush Stadium and then the Cardinals were, you know, notorious for not having a lot of power hitters in the past. So it was it was interesting that that a guy who's, who's poised to break the record was, was playing in St. Louis. From the time that you would show up on a game day until the time that the game ended, one buzzword I always hear people talk about is energy. How was the energy different that summer on, on any given night? You know, it, it, was a, it was a little different because, you know, being on the baseball side, you know, we're, we're always focused on team wins. And, 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 you know, in 98, you know, the team, team as a whole didn't have a great season. And so it was a different kind of energy because, you know, obviously in, in recent years, it's, it's all focused on, you know, the Cardinals winning. And, and you know, this, I mean, obviously that, that still was still our, our biggest priority was winning the game. But, but it was sort of, there was sort of a second element to it. And, and, you know, not only were you interested in winning the game, but there was also the interest in, in what Mark was going to do individually and, and uh, the, the whole home run chase. For you as somebody on the inside, did you ever make it a point to wander out and, and watch BP, maybe like the fans would? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that's something that, that, yeah, that was that was definitely, you know, I wouldn't do it every day, but it was certainly something you made a point of trying to do because, I mean, it was, it was incredible, you know, seeing balls getting hit to, to parts of the stadium that, that you know, balls had never come close to being to going to before. The press box, you know, especially day games or just the ebbs and flows of a baseball season. Sometimes it's more full, sometimes it's it's less full. But in '98, I imagine that was a different animal. What was the press box like on any given night? Well, there was it was definitely a lot more crowded, and that that was you know there was a lot more media, especially as it got you know the second half of the season when when the 
the, the you know the the record was was in sight. Um, but you know the 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 press box. There's always been sort of that you know no cheering in the press box is sort of the the law of the press box. And so you know there there was there was little reaction when he would hit home runs. But you know it was something that definitely you you know there there was a lot of interest in it, and, and the, there was more. It was a lot more crowded press box at the time. Do you remember a point where you started to see faces that weren't just St. Louis faces in the press box? And then also, I imagine, hearing languages and people from all different parts of the globe that were coming to St. Louis to cover that. Yeah, I think especially once he got kind of into the mid-50s and it became pretty apparent that, that barring a collapse, he was going to break the record. I think you know, once he got kind of beyond 55 or so, it seemed like that's when, then when it really started getting more crowded and you had a lot more national media coming. and, and uh, and I, I'm not, I can't recall offhand, if, but I think they even had to set up a kind of an auxiliary press box to, to kind of handle the overflow, almost kind of like a, like a postseason situation. In that summer, was there a favorite moment for you or, or just something, whether it has to do with 62 or 70 or, or the big kind of, you know, billboard moments we remember, or maybe something subtle, but something for you that, that you always think about when you hearken back to 98? Uh, I, I think to me the, the big one I remember is, is the the one that he hit to dead center, the, the one that ended up being measured at 545 feet, because that one, yeah, you know, I had been doing the home run distance measuring since they started the program back in, in 88 or 89, and you know the ball he hit to center, I mean there weren't there weren't a lot of home runs hit to center in the first place, but uh, this ball when it hit, none of us were exactly sure where it hit. Some people thought oh it just kind of dropped into the center field backdrop. And I, you know, I, I thought I had seen it ricochet off the the sign up above, and, and but people were like, no, there's there's no way it hit up there. And it's like, well, I don't know. And so we, we you know, rather than announce a distance right away, we, we kind of had to research it in game. And so uh, we dispatched the people out to the party room up there, out in center field. Uh, we actually had somebody call down to the bullpen, and and you know, everybody kind of confirmed that yeah, it did hit the sign up above center field. And so, you know, once we did that, then we had to kind of you know, put put our you know, take the take the chart out and do some measuring, and, and uh, we ended up at 545 feet, which that's that was you know the, the longest home run he hit that year, and that's you know it was it was incredible, and, and you know the thing was it, it took us about two or three innings before we could actually put a distance on the home run, and and when uh, the media relations department announced the distance, they kind of had to explain where the ball hit because there were, there was a lot of debate in the press box as to where the ball actually went if it if it did just drop into the grass. Or if it hit, hit the sign above, and so uh, once we announced it, because we, we were using the, the local TV feed to try to look at the replay, and it wasn't that TV feed didn't really give a definitive view of it. You just kind of saw the ball drop in, but you couldn't see how high it had hit. Well, once we announced it, the, the visiting TV guy came down and said, "Hey, we've got a shot of it," and we went down and looked at it, and, and yeah, you could see more clearly there that it did hit uh, the sign out in center field. That was a process, and like you said, I mean, it was fairly new back then. Were you getting media that wanted to do stories on you as they were kind of looking at different angles? Yeah, in fact, in fact, I think I ended up doing uh, uh, this week in baseball, ESPN. Um, you know, a lot of the local media did stuff as well. But yeah, it was it was definitely kind of went from being a very anonymous job back when the team was hitting you know 25, 30 home runs at home in a season to to a little more high profile at that point. I think we talked about it a second ago, but you know, the 90s, uh, still a, we're proud of all the eras in Cardinal baseball, but not the grandest for the first couple of years. Then the DeWitts take over, Mark shows up. To you, as a, a St. Louisan, a guy who was working here, how did 98 maybe impact the appetite, not just for Cardinal baseball, but for baseball in general across the country? Well, I, I think I think coming off the strike a few years earlier, I think that, that kind of, Rekindled a lot of fan interest in the game. I think you know definitely 
you know, even 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 though the team on a on a winning perspective didn't have a great year that year, I think the the the, the interest in the crowd and the, you know, the fact the attendance went way up those years, I think that kind of fueled the ability for the team to raise the payroll in 2000, which kind of set everything in motion for the success of the 2000s and the in the 2010s. So I think in a lot of ways, even though the team didn't have a lot of success that season. I think the, you know Mark's success and, and the fan interest kind of helped set, you know put everything in place for the success that we had in the 2000s. You've been around now for decades. You've seen division winners, uh, pennant winners, World Series winners. I'm sure that summer was a different animal. But if you had to put it into words, why was '98 maybe different or unique, or was it from a year where the team achieved success? As we've been blessed to do a lot here in the last couple decades, right? I, I, it, it was different, and, and that's the thing. I think it was it was sort of a unique thing because, you know, I, I was here in '82 when we won, and, and so I had experienced World Series when I was I was in you know I was a, a young child when we won in '67, but I, I had vague, vague recollections of that. Obviously, each year somebody is a World Series champion, and so you know that that's something that that you see occur every year. Where this record had been in place since '61, it was kind of really kind of the, the, the premier record in, in all of baseball and, and possibly in all of sports. And so to see that record broken, even, even though your preference is always for the team to win the world championship, that was certainly, you, know, you realize that that was something that, that may, be, may have been a once in a lifetime thing as opposed to, to winning a World Series, which hopefully you know, and, and has happened several times in my lifetime. For people who might listen to this or watch this that weren't alive in 20 years now, so I mean, there are Cardinal fans who didn't experience it in person, which is hard to believe, right. but, but, but that's the truth. You know, what would you tell those people, what do they need to understand about 98 that maybe they wouldn't since they didn't live through it? I, I think a big thing is, and I think, you know, I think, you know, baseball has become a lot more popular in the last 20 years, and so I think people forget you know the, the state baseball was in coming off the strike in '94, and, and you know then the '95 was an abbreviated season as well. And so, you know, baseball kind of had to reestablish itself with the fans. And I think, I think that was the big thing. Is not only was it a historic record that was being broken, I think it also kind of set the set everything in motion for the for the for baseball to become more popular again. Thank you to Dan, John, and of course, Vicki Bryant as well, who had those two great stories that we dropped in just a moment ago. I appreciate all of their time. It was part of a larger television piece, about a five-minute story that we ran a few weeks ago on Cardinals Insider. You can still check it out on YouTube. Go to our St. Louis Cardinals page on YouTube. You'll see it there, or cardinals.com slash video. I haven't checked, but I bet that if you Google Mark McGuire, Cardinals Insider, uh, 1998, something like that, it'll probably pop up to uh, as far as videos. But there were some other stories that we didn't uh, get to that were written into that that story for television, but wanted to bring you the full versions of Dan and also John and then those two most interesting tidbits from Vicky as well because I think that the merchandise angle is one that we don't think about a lot and is really present today and was present back then, but, I mean, McGuire took it to a whole nother level as far as people wanting souvenirs branded specifically with one player. You can kick off your summer at the ballpark on Friday, June the 1st. The Cardinals host the Pirates. That night, 30,000 fans, 16 and older, are going to take home their own Yachty Tumbler presented by Apple Vacations. Get your tickets now at cardinals.com 
slash promotions. Hope that you've enjoyed the program today. If you have, we would appreciate a positive review on Apple Podcasts through the app or at iTunes. It helps boost the visibility of the show, and that's just good for us as we continue to try to, to bring you the best content and try to make sure that uh, this is a, a, a worthwhile use of our time here at Cardinals Insider. We believe that it is, and I hear from a lot of you at our email, podcast with an S at cardinals.com. You certainly think it is. If you feel that way, we appreciate it. We don't take it for granted. And any kind of review rating would really be great on Apple Podcasts. You can also check out the show, cardinals.com slash podcast. Listen and subscribe there as well. We've had some uh, interesting episodes in recent weeks. Ben Hoffman was on to promote his book. We had a gentleman named Jim Sheely, who's been coming to Cardinal Games since 1936. And we also have had Ozzie Smith interviewing some greats from Cardinal history. So you can check all that out at cardinals.com slash podcast or by searching Cardinals Insider in iTunes. Next week, hear from the Cardinals of the 1968 squad. They won the National League pennant, their second straight pennant in a row, and of course it was the year of Bob Gibson in 68, the 1.12 ERA. They all were at Bush Stadium, or as I speak, are getting ready to be at Bush Stadium here soon, and we're going to let you hear from some of them next week on the podcast. We're out every Tuesday. Until then, my name's Brett McMillan. We'll talk to you next time on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.